How are we doing? Man, I love getting to worship with y'all, man. It was awesome. It's awesome. Uh, so welcome here. Welcome to our online family. Wish you were in the house. There's nothing like being in the house, the presence of the house. It's awesome. Um, and so a lot of things going on around here, as you can see. Uh, we are now three weeks away from, from the soft launch of our Azel campus. And uh, so, uh, yeah, the kids are leaving the nest. So... Uh, they're still going to be on the payroll, but they're leaving the nest, but I'm excited about it, but I just do want to give you an update. Uh, two weeks ago, we did an, an offering just specifically for the Azel campus, and so I want to thank you because you gave uh, an offering. Not, it was above ties, and you were generous, and, and praise God for that, and our total right now is just over $80,000 that has come in for that, so thank you, thank you, thank you. So... Uh, I'm not a thermometer guy, but man, it's, it's gushing. So thank you guys. It's awesome. Uh, we're in a series we started last week, and uh, there's some strategy with the first uh, several series that we have leading up to Easter. You know, we start January with our focus, and that's just asking God, what do you want? What do you want for my year? What do you want in my life? How do you want to roll with this? And then right after we kind of make this commitment with God and we lock in, man, it seems like the enemy just comes, comes firing at us. And so this month, we're, we're really going to track along with fighting the enemy, specifically the lies uh, that attack our life. And, and, uh, and then we're going to move into another series after that on the covenants of God, where we can be reminded that even though the enemy's trying to steal what God has planted, he's still a covenant God, and he's still on the throne, and he's still the victor. Uh, so, but with, with this series, I, I read a, a book last year called Live No Lies uh, by an author named John Mark Comer, and it really, it really rocked my world. And uh, that's the catalyst for this series and uh, uh, where, where he lays out the strategy for this threefold enemy. And the threefold enemy is the, 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 the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and we're kind of going backwards with that to start with the originator. Last week we dealt with the devil. And, and so when you look at how that, that graphic tracks along is that the, the devil comes in with a deceptive idea. And then where the flesh gets involved is that deceptive idea plays to our disordered desires. And then where the world comes in, which we'll talk about next week, is where that, that, that becomes normalized in, in a culture. And so uh, we're looking at, we looked at the, the originator, and this week we're kind of looking at where we are in this, because we're going to deal with this idea of the flesh. And I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 8. Uh, so if you got your Bible, follow along. It's Romans chapter 8. It'll be on the screen. Um, and uh, we're going to be, just so you know, we're going to be in Romans 8 and Galatians 5 and 6 for the bulk of our, our time. But Romans 8 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what we see is, is just really Paul is making it very clear 
that there's two things that, were, 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 that are diametrically opposed, the flesh and the spirit. They, they are opposed. And in Galatians 5 tells us that, that, that they are opposed, and we'll get there in a minute. But, but what we see is some results of our focus, right? There's two focal points. There's, there's either we're going to focus on our flesh or we're going to focus on the spirit. And the results that he gives us in that are when we focus on the spirit, there is peace. There is life. There's actually a life that is pleasing to God. Jesus would go on to say there's life that is truly life, the abundant life. But then on the flip side of that is the things of the flesh, the results of the flesh. And he says there's hostility to God, there's pride, and there's death. And so I, I really want to, when we get into this, we got to really understand what the flesh is, right? So let's, let's figure this out because last week when we were talking about our fight with the devil, we went to Ephesians 6 and it said our fight is not against flesh and blood. And so when you look at that word, well, I thought our fight is not against flesh and blood, so how do we fight the flesh? And there's, there's several times that word is used flesh, and the, the, the Greek word would be sarks. And um, it, it's kind of like a lot of English words where it, it can mean different things. It's kind of like I was, I was asking Heather for an example, and uh, she goes, ton, ton. I was like, ton, like 2,000 pounds, yeah. A ton is a measurement of weight, which is 2,000 pounds. But she said, but I also love you a ton, honey. I was like, you'd love me 2,000 pounds? I said 2,000 pounds of bacon, 2,000 pounds of mashed potatoes, 2,000 pounds of what? She's like, 2,000 pounds of love, baby. And uh, so, I mean, so my wife is not 2,000 pounds. Um, so you see how we can get into those kind of plays on words where flesh, stop, uh, flesh. <laughs> this is my time. I've got the talking stick. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. So pray for me tonight. Um, so where you see this word flesh, uh, sarks, which is translated flesh, you, you see it referred to as, as the term humanity. So, you know, in Ephesians 6, our fight is not against other humans. It's not against humanity. It's not against body, um, other people's bodies. And, and 1 Peter 1, 24 is an example of that. Uh, this word is also could be used... Um, uh, it's used in Philippians. Paul's using that when he's writing about circumcision, where he's kind of using ethnicity when he talks about the Jews. But in Romans and Galatians, it is referred to as our sinful passions. And uh, Eugene Peterson uh, wrote a, a paraphrase of the Bible called the Message Paraphrase. And, and uh, uh, no matter what your opinion on it is that, I heard one guy say he translated the Bible into American. But his definition of flesh is this. It's the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. So when you think about everything that broke loose in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned and they fell and that, that connection with God was, was broken, and now because of that, because of Adam's sin, because of the disobedience of one, all are disobedient. Because of the sin of one, all are sinful. Because of the trespass of Adam, all of us are guilty. So that is the very nature that humanity is born into, that we are born into a corruption that sin has introduced into our appetites and our instincts. That's an important foundation to understand as we start to battle our flesh. Because we don't, we don't get into the medieval form of mutilation. We don't get into all of that and beating our bodies. But it is simply understanding that I am pre-wired. 
I, I am born with this, this instinct and desires and appetites that tend towards brokenness. I mean, we, we took our granddaughter out to dinner. A vegetable she will not eat, you know, unless it's covered in cheese or ketchup. You know, I mean, we were like, how about some chicken? She goes, how about mac and cheese? So I'm at a restaurant arguing with a two-and-a-half-year-old girl about her appetite. And she's like, no, how? And so we didn't get the mac and cheese. But later, halfway through dinner, she goes, I really wanted mac and cheese. I mean, so we have these appetites, right? I mean, and, and those play out. But the real fight, then when we start thinking about the flesh, I mean, the, the, where the enemy comes in and we're fighting our flesh, the real fight is the desires of our self versus the desires of the spirit. It's, it's, our, it's what we said in the, even in the graphic where the enemy comes in and he plants a lie, a deceptive idea into our flesh, into our disordered desires, into our sin-corrupted appetites and instincts, and those desires begin to become self-desires versus spirit desires. And what happens after that is we start to normalize that in our life. And in Romans 8, 7, he, he says that the flesh is hostile to God. For the mindset on flesh is hostile to God. It will not submit to God. And that, that's a result of pride. When we, when we are confronted with truth, when we're, when we're in that moment of, of revelation, we have to be willing to humble ourselves. But he says that if our mind is set on the flesh, that we cannot please God. We will not please God and we will not submit to God. And, and the result of that is what we see is self being the new God. We have elevated ourselves to becoming the new God. But the problem with that, you've got to go back to our foundation that we're born on. We're born on a foundation that has desires, that has instinct, that has appetites, that have been corrupted from sin. And so, you know, we like to play the blame game. It's Adam and Eve's fault. But we don't live as victims of Adam and Eve's decision. We can be free and live as victors because of what Christ did on the cross. There's a, there's a conscious decision that we have to make. But when we, when we elevate ourself as our God, the problem becomes this. The self was never designed to bear the weight of that kind of title. Because what happens is we constantly have to justify ourselves, defend ourselves, edify ourselves, and then force ourselves on other people to justify ourselves, to edify ourselves, and to defend ourselves. And ultimately, it becomes a crushing weight that we will never find ourselves fulfilled. And when self is, the, is, is our God, the fight really becomes autonomy from God. And we call it freedom. I want freedom. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. Let's look at that. I want to show you the strategy, you know, in action. So it's, it's always good to see, like, the example, and then we can come back. But here's, here's, here's a strategy. Here's how, here's how this whole thing plays out. In Galatians chapter 6, I'll start in verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia, but he, he, he's, uh, he says this, Do not be deceived. So there we go. Do not be deceived that there's a deceptive idea coming into the picture. So there's a lie being planted. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows from the Spirit will from the Spirit 
reap eternal life. And he says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We like to pull verse 9 out, don't we? We like to give that as an encouragement, you know, where somebody's having a rough day. We're like, well, don't get weary in doing good, because in due season. But let's go back. This is about planting and reaping. It's about planting and reaping from two different focal points, from two different entities. Are we planting from ourself, where ourself is the God, or are we planting from the Spirit? Because when you see this, this is capital S, Spirit. This is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the third in the Trinity, and it's where are we sowing from? He's like, when we sow to our flesh, we will continue to reap from the flesh disordered desires. And ultimately... I mean, to, I, it's, it's hard to kind of just get, say, well, it all boils down to this. But I kind of look at it. We sin because we want something different than God. We, we, we want something different, whether that's his timetable or what his providence is for us, what his provision is for us. I don't want God's provision. I want this for myself. I don't want to wait for God. I want to get this myself. And what happens is we get into the sin, the sin cycle because our desires are different from the desires of the Spirit. And we start reaping into that. When we start giving into those desires, we think that it leads to freedom, this autonomy from God, that I can do whatever I want. See, that's the Western culture's definition of freedom, the ability to do whatever I want. And I remember as a kid thinking, I can't wait to be an adult. I can do whatever I want. You know, had a bedtime imposed on me. It's like, when I'm an adult, I can go to bed whenever I want. When I'm an adult, I can eat whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. I can, I can just write a check for it, Mom. <laughs> when you get old, you realize, I would rather go to bed like I did when I was eight years old. <laughs> when you grow up and you reach some maturity, you realize, I can't eat anything I want. Because it causes all these other issues in my body. And you have to start going, bran? Fiber? No, I want sugar. I want carbs. Oh, and write a check. You, that money's got to come from somewhere. You know, I, I can go anywhere I want, but I really don't feel like I have the energy to go anywhere I want right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But we think, we think this idea of freedom is something like I can do whatever I want. And we think that's where the fulfillment happens. But, but what happens in that is when we think freedom is doing whatever we want, it actually leads to a deeper bondage. Comer would say it's suicide by pleasure. We will indulge ourselves to death. When he goes on to speak about this idea of sowing and reaping, and this is what he says. He goes, you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap more actions. You sow actions, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny, either in slavery to the flesh or in freedom in the spirit. Now, let's understand this idea of freedom, right? Just go back a chapter in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul's writing to believers. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christ followers. He's saying, for you you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's, he's quoting Jesus. And Jesus in Mark chapter 12 was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he goes back to the law. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
But then he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment. So Paul's calling us back to this love. Love. Love is the key to freedom. So freedom in the Western culture, permission to do whatever we want. Freedom in the spirit is power to want and do what is good. So how do we determine good? What sets the filter of good? It's love. Not love in our cultural context where it's, it's wrapped in desire and appetites of self. This is the New Testament version, the definition of love. It says, a compassionate commitment of the heart to delight in the soul of another and to will that person's good ahead of your own no matter the cost. God demonstrated this love. To us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ did not count the cost for himself because his heart was for us. He had a compassionate commitment. Compassion is, is not just a feeling of, oh, that's sad. Compassion leads us to action. See, when we see suffering, if we say, I have compassion on the suffering, then it means my hands are getting dirty helping the suffering. Because sympathy will just sit back and go, man, that's sad. You know, and the, and, and the church will go, oh, that's sad. I'll pray for you. But have compassion means we get in. James says, you don't tell your brother who's hungry or naked, oh, be warm and well-fed. God bless you. I'll be praying for you. You know, you do something about it. Because faith is active. Compassion is an active feeling where we're moved to do something. Jesus had compassion on us. When you see him in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he would come into a town, he would come into a region of of, of Galilee, and the people would come around, and we see this over and over, that Jesus had compassion on him. He didn't just say, this is broken, and something needs to be done about this. I'm going to talk to my father and see if he can hook you up. He got involved, compassion, because his heart And his delight is in the soul of another. He desires us. And he gave his life on the cross. God demonstrated this love for us through Christ on the cross. The amazing thing is this kind of love cannot be manufactured. This kind of love has to be cultivated from a seed that comes from the spirit. Because it is the very fruit of the spirit. Let's go on in Galatians here because Paul would say, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That one statement, I'm still trying to get all that figured out. I'm still working on that. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Well, I thought freedom was to do whatever I wanted to do. No, freedom in Christ is to do what is good. So I want to do good, but why am I always wrestling with all these other things that get me wrapped up? He says, but if, if, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So think about love under the law. All right, we, we live in the great state of Texas. And in Texas, there's a law that tells me I have to take care of my kids. You know, I have to feed them, I have to clothe them, I have to send them to school, all that, right? That's the law. So by the law, if I, the, the way they would say, do you love your kids? Well, they're at school, they're clothed, they're fed, you know, and, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping this little human being alive. 
But if I'm led by the Spirit, it's not about that. It's about imparting discipleship into my children. It's to understand that my children are a gift from God, that he has trusted me with them. He's given me this little life, and he's placed them in my family so that I can be the one to lead them into the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ. And then they can leave my nest and be productive in our society and our, our culture, but they are disciples making disciples. And love says, I don't just want to clothe my children. Love says, I want to nurture them. I want to grow them. I care for them. That's why he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under a law. Because we're going to see what happens. He goes, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, that rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's not an exhaustive list. He's like, you know, that, that's Paul saying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at this. So we have an ability to produce brokenness and all everything that comes from it from our, from our sin-corrupted instincts and desires and appetites. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control against such things, there is no law. It goes back again. Why, does there no, uh, is, why would that not be under the law? Because he has my heart. When he has my heart, it doesn't matter what the statutes of the law are. Grace always elevates us above the statutes of the law. Jesus would say, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. There's a law. But I tell you. If you look at a woman lustfully, you're guilty. So grace just elevated the standard. If I couldn't live up to the standard of the law, I mean, the law was given as a shadow, as a, as a, as a, as a way of saying, you know, I need help. And then Jesus raises the bar with grace. That's because grace affects the heart. Grace lifts us over. Grace doesn't lower the bar, it lifts us over it. And when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm, and we had an electric fence that went around our yard. It's fun for little boys to play with. You know, it was a shocking experience. <laughs> but I remember I wasn't tall enough to make it over that, that fence. So my father, there would be times that he would put his boot on it and he would push it down so I could step over it. So many of us think that, that we think that's grace. That's what grace does to the law, that he just steps it down so we can get over it. But there were times where it was a little higher because of the ground. And instead of my father pushing the bar down and pushing the wire down... He leaned over, and he picked me up and put me on this side of it. That's grace. That's where the heart transformation happens. Because I realized I just accomplished something through Christ that I could never do on my own. Battling the flesh is not willpower. It is not grit. It is pressing in. To the Holy Spirit who is given to us when we confess Christ as our Lord and confess Christ as our Savior. I submit in. And in that moment, it's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, Spirit gives birth to Spirit. 
that there's something born inside of me that I no longer have to, to, to grit it out. There's a power at work. Remember the, what we said about the Spirit last week. It's the empowering presence of God. So there's an empowering presence in me that is not my guts or my grit. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's power is who called Jesus out of the tomb on the third day. There is nothing impossible. The addiction that we're, we're facing, the, every, the mountain that is in front of you, we look at the impossibilities. I'll never be able to change. I can't fix this. I'm stuck. This is just the way it's going to be. That's not looking at it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to move in us and he will lift us out of that bondage because we continue to get into our bondage because we think our way of freedom is what we really want. And ultimately find ourselves more bound up, more under law and producing more things that we just go, how can I change this? And we come to a moment like January 1st and go, it's going to be a new year. The turning of the calendar doesn't change it. It's a reordering of desires. And so going back to verse 16, he says, I say walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. There were so many times I would hear that, and I would ask the question, how do I do that? What does that look like? Because I, I, I almost take that statement as just like someone looking at me who needs to be fed and clothed and going, be warm and well fed. God bless you. Tell me how to, how to do this. How do I Walk by the Spirit. I think it comes back to our disciplines. Remember last week? We talked about two disciplines. And I said the disciplines don't prepare us for the warfare. The disciplines are the warfare. The first one is, is prayer. We have to be praying. That's the relational connection with God. That's the infusion of the power. That's where we're in communion with, with God, our Father, with the Holy Spirit, who is the empowering presence of God in our life, and the Son who is seated at the right hand of the Father, always interceding for us, and He shows us that He is the victor, that He is the name above every name. Prayer changes it all. Prayer is not preparing for the fight. Prayer is the fight. So we need that relationship, and then we need a foundation of truth, which is Scripture. So how do I walk in the Spirit? Well, I, I need to be praying. I mean, even Ephesians 6 last week, going through the armor of God, he said praying at all times in the Spirit. So I need that connection relationally. I need the relationship to be on a foundation of truth. And that sets the filter for the lies coming in. But then I would also say that, that there are some more disciplines for us to add. We just finished one in January. It's called fasting. And fasting, basic definition, it is denying our body food. And I, I mean, I used to do this. I used to go, well, I'm not fasting food. I'm fasting television. Well, here's what I learned. That's abstaining from television. I'm not fasting. I'm abstaining. Fasting is denying my body food. Why? Because I am starving the flesh, the body, to have mastery over the flesh, the sinful desires. Which spirit's going to lead, the flesh or the Holy Spirit? The one we feed. So a season of fasting. I mean, Jesus was fasting when he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil. And our, listen, our body, 
Our body is corrupted by sin, and, and often it works against it works against me in fighting the flesh. I mean, because when I'm fasting and I open our pantry, I know where the things are that I hid before Heather went and cleaned everything out before the fast. Let me, let me just tell you, <laughs> for Christmas, I made peanut butter Reese crackers dipped in dark chocolate with some nice Himalayan sea salt on top of them. I made them the week after Christmas, a whole container of them. And I knew exactly where they were because they're still there. (laughs) And for me, I mean, if you don't know me, I'll let you in on this. Some of you already know this. Like when I get into high times of stress, I'm a stress eater. And when the stress is on, I just, I just, I just, I go to food. <laughs> I don't go to healthy food. You know, I'm like, hey, I want pizza. You know, I want, you know. And so when I'm fasting, it starts to bring those desires down. It helps me fight that because I'm not going to those things as comfort, as stress relief. I mean, I, I mean, I, I know got friends, it's like, I'm stressed. I'm just going to have a glass of wine when I get home from work. Listen, biblically, there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine. The problem is when that becomes our coping mechanism, and by the end of the night, we've, 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 we've slammed a bottle, and it's not out of communing with God and eating and drinking to God's glory. It is stress relief. But the problem is, can you see the spiral? That, that appetite can lead us deeper into bondage becomes an addiction. Eventually, our addictions become our idols. And we become enslaved to our idols. So fasting is vital. The one to pair in with fasting, I'm going to pair this in with pair this in with prayer because that's already on our list. But I'm going to add a component to our prayer. It's called confession. That, there, 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 that we need to have times of confession because that is us submitting to God And going, here are the appetites I need help with. Here are the desires. Here is where I've fallen. And here's where I need you at work in my life, God. And and, and we understand this. I mean, Romans 8.1, we just read it. That that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So when I sin, and when I sin because I have a disordered desire, that I've let the deceptive idea come in, and I I go down that path, then there's no, the, the condemnation has been removed because of the blood of Christ. But listen, there can still be guilt. I mean, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in John is that he convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness. And and, and it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit leads us on a guilt trip and constantly holds us over our head. I think guilt can be a healthy thing. It's unhealthy if we wallow in it. It's unhealthy if we let guilt build an identity called shame because guilt is about an action. Shame is about an identity. But I think guilt, uh, guilt can be healthy, and I think the Holy Spirit will, I, I need you to feel some of this weight of your sin so that it can lead to repentance. See, see, guilt to the soul is what pain is to the body. It says something's wrong, and it needs to be addressed. If you don't feel guilty about your sin, I would say back up several chapters and read Romans chapter 1. But that when I do feel that guilt, it brings me to God and going, God, I am so sorry because I'm asking for your forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful to forgive. He's just. 
in his mercy. And his, God is a just God, but he, he wipes out the justice because of grace. And he cleanses us. So we confess to God for forgiveness. And then what happens is that, that there's a repentance. It's that repentance and confession. It's a changing of desire. And so it changes our thought process. In Romans 12, 12 chapter 2, we're told, I mean, we, we understand that as more like, you know, living sacrifices. But as living sacrifices, here's what he says. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't fit in to the world where you don't know, you look like you don't even know Christ. Don't fit in that way. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. How is our mind renewed? That's by asking the Holy Spirit to renew our mind. I mean, think about it. We talked about reaping and sowing. Our thoughts... Those seeds etch pathways into our brain. And the more we think about it and the more we act on it, the easier it becomes. Why? Because it becomes a well-beaten path. So if my stress relief is always going to be food, then when stress hits, that's the well-worn path. Right to my pantry, right to the big, beautiful bag of Cheetos. But what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do in renewing my mind is, hey, would you just let a landslide cover that path? And when the stress hits, I want to think on you. I want to think on things that are holy, on things that are pure, on things that are noble, Philippians chapter 4. And would you, Holy Spirit, start to etch a new pathway in my brain so when the stress hits, I don't turn this way to food, I turn this way into you. And I confess to God for that forgiveness. But also confess to others for freedom. And this is where we all get a little uncomfortable because it's what James chapter 5 verse 16 says. It says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The word healed doesn't just mean I'm sick. It means to renew. It means to change to an appropriate state. I'm in bondage, and Jesus did not die for me to continue living in bondage. And I confess that. And listen, I'm not talking about a confessional booth. I am talking about people around you that are trusted people in gospel connectedness. That you can be in a safe environment and say, this is what I'm struggling with. When we get into those environments and we understand that love is the foundation, remember, it's not about what I can get from it, but it's about, it's about my compassionate desire and to see God do a work in you regardless of the cost to me. I'm willing to lay it. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to give time. I'm willing to enter into the struggle with you. That's where freedom is found. Someone who can encourage you and help you be accountable. Someone who will constantly bring you back to say, how about asking yourself this? Does this sow into my flesh or does this sow into my spirit? Does this that I'm holding on to, does that lead to deeper bondage or more freedom in Christ? I'll close you with a, co a quote. Comer says this, the devil's deceitful ideas are not random. They appeal to our disordered desires or what the New Testament writers call the flesh. The flesh is our animal side, the primal instinctive drives of self-gratification and self-preservation. The solution is not to white-knuckle our way through, but to live by the Spirit via practices that enable us to draw on the power of God to live in freedom. 
Are we willing to fight the right fight and fight our flesh through prayer, the word, fasting when we need to, and true gut level, honest confession to God and someone who will walk with me into the freedom? Because we don't have to live in bondage. And bondage isn't just something people who are unsaved live in. There's way too many people who confess Christ, have submitted their life to him, and I believe there's been a genuine transformation of their heart and their destiny for eternity, but yet you're living now in the deepest bondage that you could ever imagine, and you don't have to live that way anymore. And it's simply coming to God in confession and saying, I submit to what you did on the cross, Jesus, and I'm asking the power of the resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit to break these bonds in my past, in my present, my future, renew my mind, renew my heart, and lead me in your way everlasting. Let me pray. Jesus, we acknowledge our need for you and our need for salvation, and that's what you, you who were crucified and resurrected, That's what you accomplished through the cross and the grave. You were crucified to give us life and peace and freedom. Jesus, you said it's better that you go so that you would send the helper, the helper who is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you. Fill us and fill us and fill us and help us to remember the truth. Help us to remember that our flesh has been crucified with Christ. Help us to remember that we're raised by your power to live a new life. And we come before you in this moment of confession. We just say, here is what I'm carrying that is keeping me from your fullness And it started because I followed a deceptive idea that played to my desires. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to free me, renew my mind, empower me to stay in step with you. And in this battle with the flesh, may we fight for the glory of God. And we pray this in the name of our crucified, resurrected Savior and victor, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. I love you guys.